and welcome to National Treasure Hunt, the podcast where the secret lies not only with Charlotte, but also with your co-hosts. I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And today's episode is bound to be exciting, intriguing, perhaps controversial even. I don't know, Em. I feel like we're going to be talking about one of the biggest movies slash Broadway plays of the past couple of years and trying to equate it to our favorite Nicolas Cage film. And I have no idea how that's going to go over with the general populace. I think it's going to go over well, but I am going to correct you just for the sake of being able to say in case there are any purists listening, Hamilton is a musical, not a play. Whatever. A Broadway show. Is that appropriate? Yes. Broadway show. I don't know. I didn't see it on Broadway. I saw it on Disney Plus. So that's another thing that it has in common with National Treasure. So in case you hadn't figured it out, today's episode is one of our classical comparisons between National Treasure and another popular piece of media. That piece of media is the one and only Broadway musical slash Disney Plus movie version of the musical. Hamilton. Yes. I love Hamilton. Um, I've been obsessed with Hamilton for years now. I did see it on Broadway as well as on Disney Plus. Yes, I did not I saw know it, that. I saw it in Chicago on Broadway. When were you in Chicago? For a neuroscience conference. And you went and saw a show. Respect. <laughs> Our hotel was it. Uh, directly adjacent to the theater in which Hamilton was being performed. So it felt like a, nice. a sign that we needed to go. So me and my lab mate went. And nice. It was pretty fun. I, mad respect. I went and saw Harry Potter and the Cursed Child when I was in London for a chemistry conference. Nice. <laughs> so we have, we have something in common, Emily. It's adorable. Add it to the list. Indeed. Well, you all know what you're getting into with this episode. It should be pretty intriguing because at first glance, National Treasure and Hamilton probably seem to have very little in common, but I think this episode might prove, you know, illuminating and help us all uncover some similarities that might not have been so obvious from the get-go. But before we get into all of that, we must start with our screams from Parkington Lane. This is my admission and Emily's admission of how much national treasure has seeped into our daily lives that we have to confess something to you. We have to confess one of those instances. And I know I have a a scream this week that makes me giggle. I don't know, Emily, do you have one to share first? I do. So this is very short and simple as most of my screams are, but I feel just as important as Aubrey's. And I was recently sending a text message to my uh, boyfriend's sister-in-law to tell her that we had arrived at her home so that she could send her husband out so he could get in the car with us and we could go somewhere. And I typed here and immediately thought in my head, here at the wall with two E's. And I did not type here at the wall. I just typed here. But the thought occurred to me. Wow. A level up would be if your phone auto-corrected here to here with two E's. Wow. That... Get, get back to me when you're on that level. <laughs> Great. Okay. <laughs> What's yours? 
So um, as a lot of our listeners probably know, I live in the Washington, D.C. area. And last week, I had an in-person event to go to, which is jarring in and of itself, for work. And the address for the event was 700 Pennsylvania Avenue. And I'm like, you know me, Emily, I'm very paranoid. Like, where do I have to go? How am I going to get there? Like, how soon do I have to leave? So it's the night before. I'm fairly exhausted. I'm like, okay, let's try to Google Maps this. Where is this place? I put in 700 Pennsylvania Avenue and immediately I'm struck because I know this location. If there's any location on this map of Washington, D.C. that I know, it is this one. It is the National Archives building. (gasps) And I got so excited. I was freaking out until I realized there are two 700 Pennsylvania avenues in Washington, D.C. One is like northwest and the other is southeast. And I had to go to the southeast one, which is not the archives. And I was low-key devastated. That's so disappointing. It really was. I was like, this is going to be the coolest thing ever. I really want to go to this event now, which I really didn't want to to begin with. Um, but yeah, I was sad. And that's my scream. That. That was a great one, Aubrey. Thank you. And if you guys have any screams to share with us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at NT Hunt Podcast. We are also available to listen to on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify, as well as Good Pods. And if you didn't get enough shopping done in the holiday season and you feel like doing some extra stuff now in January, go ahead and check out our merch store, which is in the link tree on our bio. You guys can get shirts, notebooks, magnets, stickers, really anything that you want with various quotes from National Treasure, as well as our logo. Yes, please do talk to us on social media, because as you saw in the offseason, you never know when we're going to tap our Twitter followers to come join us on a special bonus episode. It could be literally any time. But for now, we must dive in to this episode comparing National Treasure and Hamilton. And here is what you can expect. We're going to start, for anyone who's less familiar with Hamilton, we'll start with a summary to get everyone on the same page. Emily will definitely take that section in its entirety because she is a huge Hamilton fan and I distinctly am not. Um, Then we will go through some comparisons related to Hamilton and National Treasure's use of American history. Then, of course, we'll go into the characters. And finally, we will end with our final section related to songs and lyrics. So, with that being said, let's get this party started. Emily, tell us what Hamilton is all about. Well, 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 Hamilton is about, obviously, the life and death of none other than Alexander Hamilton, who was one of the founding fathers of the United States. Now, Hamilton the Musical, or the musical on Disney+, Plus, as Aubrey knows it, carries us through the Revolutionary War into the building of the United States government system and through the beginning of that governing body. So we get to see George Washington as the first president, and then we get to see him stepping down in the election that occurs after. Now, 
This musical really highlights Hamilton's role in the revolution and the creation of the U.S. government, while also taking some time to delve into his personal life, such as his marriage to Elizabeth Schuyler, his children, as well as his affairs. Unfortunately, boo hiss. Now, in this musical, Hamilton is definitely set up to be the protagonist, while the antagonist is set up to be Aaron Burr. Spoiler alert for those of you who either are unfamiliar with the history or have not seen Hamilton the musical, Aaron Burr kills Hamilton at the end in a duel. Yeah, so that's... That is pretty much what I remember from watching this once on Disney+. Plus. I also remember other things like thinking it was way too long, um, thinking that it was really hard to understand what was happening because I couldn't understand the singing rapping about 50% of the time. So closed captioning was really useful for me. Um, and one other point I would just like to make, um, Emily, you remember our, uh, our mutual friend Becca, also from Ursinus? Um, mm -hmm. Becca told us that she was related to Aaron Burr. You recall? Oh yes, <laughs> that did happen. Yeah, like very bizarre. And um, we actually visited Aaron Burr's grave when both of you visited me back at Princeton. We did, and back then only Becca and I knew what Hamilton was, and it was just a small, small thing in the life of Aubrey Paris. I mean, you don't have to know Hamilton to have any context for this bit of history, right? I mean, this is classic US history one in high school. TBH, I don't remember learning it. <laughs> hey, fair enough. So um, before we dive in here, Emily, I know when we were previewing this episode at the end of our last episode, you were really skeptical about comparing Hamilton to National Treasure. Do you wanna say a few words about that? I was. So, you know, it's Hamilton and it's National Treasure. And for those of you who know both of those things, you probably are aware that, like Aubrey said at the beginning, on the surface, they don't seem to have a ton in common. So before we start, I kind of just wanted to get one thing out of the way. We know that these two pieces of media do not provide us with a one-to-one -one type of comparison. One, Hamilton is a musical biography, and one national treasure is a treasure hunt movie. So we're well aware that on the surface, it doesn't seem like these things have anything in common. That being said, we did have to do a little digging, and I think we came up with some pretty cool comparisons. Yeah, I would tend to agree. Um, and hopefully we can change some perspectives of some listeners today as well. Also, it's a little bit less fun when there's a direct one-to-one -one comparison and they're obviously similar. So hopefully this will shake things up a bit. Um, okay, so now that that caveat is out of the way, let's start with our first section today, which is really related to the inspiration behind these storylines and their use ultimately of United States history, which I don't know about you, Emily, if there was one thing right off the bat that you had to say, you know, these two had in common, it's probably history, right? Oh, for sure. So right off the bat, Lin-Manuel Miranda, um, Emily, you could provide any more details on who he is. I think he's a bona fide celebrity now that probably most people have at least heard of him. He wrote 
the musical Hamilton after reading Ron Chernow's biography of Alexander Hamilton. And so, so to me, immediately we have a jumping off point. I don't know about you, but this made me think of the story of Charles Seegers being inspired to create National Treasure after conducting hands-on research and having his own personal experiences at the National Archives, just substitute a biography with an experience at a historical place, you know? That is exactly what I thought of immediately. I'm glad that we're on the same page with that. Yeah, off, off to a good start. And speaking of sort of the, the creators of these pieces of media, I also think we have another parallel. We know from our conversations with Charles and Oren Aviv, so again, our, our co-creators to, to executive producers of National Treasure, we know firsthand of the passion they have for the historical topics that they were bringing to the big screen in creating the National Treasure franchise. And you and I have mentioned multiple times, Emily, that we really feel like Ben Gates is their mouthpiece. Mm -hmm. Now, we and probably most casual National Treasure viewers even wouldn't really know that unless we unless speaking to Charles and Oren, which we had the pleasure to do. So we know that whether intentionally or unintentionally, they wrote this third party character that is not them, but sounds like them. Ben mm -hmm. Gates the words coming out of Ben Gates' mouth, you could envision being the words coming out of Charles' mouth or Oren's mouth themselves. Correct. Now, this passion project, if you will, kind of vibe, is really reminiscent to me of Lin-Manuel Miranda and, and how Hamilton was a passion project for him. There is a key difference here, though, which is that whereas Charles and Oren wrote a third-party fictional character to be their mouthpiece, Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote his own mouthpiece, as in he wrote the lead role of Hamilton for himself. Yeah, he did. Uh, you know, I think, that, I think that comes with the difference that Charles and Oren weren't actors. As far as we know, before they got into their film creative careers, that is fair. Um, Whereas will... Lin-Manuel Miranda has previously been on Broadway before Hamilton. Right. Although I do have probably an unpopular opinion of you, compared to you, but I know that I've seen this online as well. I really felt that him writing the part for himself did the musical a disservice because they cast such incredible singers in all of the other roles of Hamilton that by comparison, I thought Lin-Manuel Miranda was not good by comparison. And so I didn't, I didn't love that. But anyway, I digress. That's an opinion that you hold. It absolutely is an opinion that I hold. I also happen to know it's an opinion that many others hold. I also know it's an opinion that you do not. So all of those... <laughs> All of those uh, caveats aside. Okay, so we talked a little bit about the origins here, but let's talk about the actual plot. History. What part of a history are we talking about here? Well, it's actually really fair to say that Hamilton's historical reference point is a little bit more consistent with National Treasure mm -hmm as opposed to like National Treasure 2, for example. Um, and of course, we're not talking about the present day aspect of National Treasure. We're talking about the history that's being referenced 
in our beloved film. So Hamilton would theoretically take place during and just after the history presented in National Treasure. So this is, as you mentioned in the summary, Emily, during the American Revolution and then immediately after the revolution as the government is being set up. So they're kind of contemporaneous in, in that respect. Now, there is an aspect here of the history presentation in both of these pieces of media that I find to be a double standard. Do you have any idea where I'm going to go with this off the bat? I honestly do not. Please continue. Okay. So I, this annoys me. I'm going to preface it by saying that. Shocker. <laughs> Aubrey annoyed by something. <laughs> you know, who would have thought? Um, okay. Here's the double standard. Film critics and viewing audiences seem to be particularly impressed with how Lin-Manuel Miranda used language from some of the actual referenced historical documents in Hamilton in the songs that he wrote for the musical. So we're talking like the Federalist Papers, the Reynolds pamphlet. He actually used language from those documents in his songs, which is really cool. I will admit that. And, and film critics, Broadway critics, viewers of, you know, just the, the musical themselves all seem to really love that. But one of the biggest things about National Treasure that is ridiculed by film critics and even just moviegoers when you have people who don't like the movie is the fact that like use of the Declaration of Independence and the Silence Do Good Letters as plot points is it's derided as fantastical. People are like, oh, this is so improbable. This is ridiculous. Use of these historical things. Like they either say the history is so faked that it's ridiculous or they say, oh, it's impossible to do this. So we're going to write like it's impossible to steal the Declaration of Independence or whatever. So we're going to write off the movie. So oh, wow. I find that I find that a little double standardy. That's fascinating because some of my favorite parts of both of these pieces of media are actually when they directly reference the actual documents of the time. So I'm thinking of when basically Ben recites part of the Declaration of Independence. And then in Hamilton, I'm thinking of in George Washington's farewell song when he's singing about his resignation speech, uh, or basically singing part of his resignation speech. And those two moments for me are some of the most poignant moments in both of these films because they are pulling directly from history. So I find that really fascinating that people, I did not know that people who were critical of National Treasure were critical of uh, the pulling from history. Yeah, and I completely agree with you. I love those parts as well. But even the example that you gave of Ben reading off of the Declaration of Independence, people are like, oh, yeah, like this is. It's almost like the audience becomes Riley saying like, oh, people, we don't talk like that anymore. Why is Nick Cage talking like that? Like That's <laughs> actually it's kind of meta. Um, but Emily, the double standard doesn't stop there. It gets oh, worse. Boy. It gets worse. So. As we all know, National Treasure is widely criticized for being historically inaccurate. Now, Emily, you and I know, and all of our National Treasure hunters know that this is an exaggeration. Um, we know from our myriad deep dives, our 
hunts for facts, episodes, etc. We know that almost everything that you find in national treasure is based on something that was real, even minor points that are are less known, like the Charlotte or things like that. Um, but yet people are like, oh, we're going to bash this as being, you know, a historical problem, really. What people don't realize is that Hamilton also dramatically reimagines many elements of its story. Yet again, it is critically acclaimed. Now, there's no, I'm not here to say like everything has to be historically accurate. It does not. I'm saying the reactions to those two very similar outcomes are not fair. They're not, they're, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, I I do know what you mean. And it's definitely is definitely looking at it like that. It's very frustrating because yeah. And before people come at me, (laughs) I just want to pull a couple of examples of historical inaccuracies in Hamilton. Um, And full disclosure, I pulled these from cited sources on Wikipedia on Hamilton's Wikipedia page. So just a couple of examples. Um, Apparently the chronology is inaccurate regarding when Hamilton and some other characters from the musical from US history actually arrived in the United Mm -hmm. States. Um, I personally feel like this inaccuracy is the same level of inaccuracy as when in National Treasure, Ben says there were 55 signers of the Declaration of Independence and people get angry that it's actually 56 like Mm -hmm. it's that level of importance but people get mad that it they didn't say 56 so like whatever (laughs) um another example um is that the musical calls Hamilton an abolitionist and says that he wrote essays against slavery when this is pretty big in reality he did oppose slavery but he was familiarly involved in slavery and did nothing to stop it and certainly did not write these essays Mm. to me this feels like a pretty egregious historical betrayal given the purpose of the musical itself yeah definitely i didn't know that um and one other example i'll give is that apparently most early interactions between hamilton and aaron burr in the musical were completely fictionalized so For example, Aaron Burr was not invited to Hamilton's wedding and was not asked to help write the Federalist Papers, both of which are plot points in the musical. And these are, again, just three examples. There are more. They're easily Googleable if you're interested in finding them. So ultimately, this whole concept of national treasure being ridiculed for historical inaccuracies when there is more accuracy than people give it credit for, while... Hamilton is praised for historical accuracy and its inaccuracies are kind of ignored. This really bothers me as a concept. Um, And I think the reason why it bothers me is not just because I'm going to be an ardent defender of national treasure. It's, it's actually because people do not watch national treasure and think that they're watching the depiction of a history book. Right. They do not. But I would argue people do watch Hamilton and think it's historical truth Mm -hmm. because that's kind of how it's portrayed. So, so yeah, that's my thesis on this double standard that I think is, it really needs to be noted. Okay. No, that's, that's, that's very fair, Aubrey. I, I can definitely see where you're coming from and I, I agree with you, but I will say that, I mean, we know, for example, that national treasure 
regardless of its some historical inaccuracies that it contains. It also does have a place in promoting some historical interests. Yeah. Uh, have you found that the same was true for Hamilton? Absolutely. I mean, both films have certainly been used, for example, in the classroom and to inspire people to be more interested in history. Um, I think that's pretty well documented for both pieces of media here. Um, I will also note that a book has been written by a group of historians that talk about Hamilton the musical's relationship with history. And they note the increased engagement that it brings in US history. It also acknowledges Hamilton's misinterpretation of things. Um, and honestly, this, this book, it's called Historians on Hamilton, How a Blockbuster Musical is Restaging America's Past. The concept of this book, which I obviously have not read, it kind of reminds me of what we're doing with this podcast. You know what I mean? Like analyzing yeah. this, a piece of media through a, a different lens. And it's just making me think we should write a book. Okay. <laughs> funny thing is you think I'm joking. <laughs> oh, no. The funny thing is I know you're not joking. <laughs> Anyway, if you all think we should write a book about national treasure, drop us a comment on Twitter or Instagram. Anyway, uh, let's wrap up this historical section with um, a small comparison that kind of leads us into a proposition, a proposition for National Treasure 3. We wouldn't dare do that. Um, I will just say that the Federalist Papers in Hamilton kind of remind me as a plot device of the silence do good letters in national treasure so hey you know if we if we need more intrigue surrounding national treasure 3 if we need e somehow even more internet support for the creation of this movie that we've been waiting for for literal years why not throw some uh, additional hollywood star power behind it why not incorporate the Federalist Papers into National Treasure 3? And hey, maybe Lin-Manuel Miranda could write the score while we're at it. And then we're going to get some box office numbers. And you're welcome, Disney. I do have to say that in relation to this today, I found a tweet. It's an old tweet from Lin-Manuel Miranda that I'll definitely send to you so that you can post it when this episode airs. But um, somebody replied to one of his tweets and suggested that he write and perform Hamilton 2, which I don't even know how that would happen because Hamilton ends with Hamilton's death. So, like, there's no Hamilton 2 there. But Lin-Manuel Miranda replied and said, the one with the treasure map on the Declaration of Independence, it's not ready. <laughs> yes, we have a fan in Lin-Manuel Miranda for National Treasure. I love it. Um, that's pretty epic. So that concludes our section on sort of historical inspiration between these two pieces of media. And now we're going to dive into the characters and the characterization that happens in National Treasure and Hamilton. So, um, yeah, Emily, do you want to start us off on this one? I do, because what I think is really interesting about these, both these pieces of media is that they both really care about the characters. But I think have different end goals. And what I mean by that is 
I would argue that Hamilton is trying to be primarily character driven, right? You can kind of see that by the fact that the show is called Hamilton. Like it's right there in the title. And this is emphasized by the fact that the historical time frame, kind of as you mentioned, is a little mixed up within the musical. And I've read some articles that suggest that that was done in a way that allows for the emphasis on characterization with the history of the country kind of being pushed a little more into the background of things. Mm, so like almost like history is in the background, whereas in National Treasure, we can't, we almost consider history its own character. Exactly. And that leads me right into my next point, which is that I would argue that National Treasure is trying to be primarily plot driven, right? The characters are a huge, huge part of this. Don't get me wrong. But there's a reason that the movie is known as the one where Nick Cage steals the Declaration of Independence. (laughs) That's true. Right? (laughs) Ultimately, the goal of this film is that we, along with these characters, are trying to find the treasure. And the character development and character growth, really, is minimal throughout the movie. And I think we saw this in our last season's episode where we talked about all the different characters and gave them their own episode. And we have very strong, or in some cases more strong than others, depictions of these characters and their background. But we don't really see anything progress throughout the film, right? We basically end the film with the characters with the same version that we started with. And now you could argue that this is because this movie takes place over a fairly short amount of time. It's like a series of days if you exclude the beginning of the first National Treasure movie when Nick Cage is a child. Uh, And Hamilton obviously is occurring over the course of years and years. So you're obviously going to get more character development there. But I think you're onto something here because if you take National Treasure and Book of Secrets as their own world. They do take place over a couple of years. I would say probably around three, three three-ish years. So there is some time jump here and we don't see a difference really in the character traits between the key characters across the two movies. It's the reason that we didn't have to do like a Ben Gates character analysis for National Treasure and a Ben Gates character analysis for National Treasure 2. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think you're really onto something there. I totally agree that National Treasure is more plot driven. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's something else. I don't know if you noticed this, and I find this to be like a funny little tidbit. Did you notice that both National Treasure franchise and Hamilton they both portray the British kind of as fools. Oh my gosh, you're so right. I mean, obviously in Hamilton, you have the King George figure who, okay, folks who are listening, as someone who does not really enjoy Hamilton, I actively enjoyed any time King George was on stage and like doing his little part. He's the best part of Hamilton in my humble opinion. Um, but he's definitely portrayed like sort of as a fool. He's comedic. Um, in National Treasure, Ian, the villain, is por- portrayed as, as British and he's always like five steps behind. But even more directly when you have a full edit, think of National Treasure 2. Do you remember when we were in Buckingham Palace and National Treasure 2, um, Ben and then eventually Abigail are trying to get to the Queen's study? Um, to eventually find the plank Mm -hmm. and 
they need to get into the security suite so that they can actually access the queen's study. So Ben pretends um, he's drunk and they get detained and blah, blah, blah. And basically the British security guards are portrayed as fools because they can't keep their detainees. You even have that silly line like, oi, where are my detainees? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Terrible British accent. But they, they can't keep, like they can't do their job. So I yeah. just think that's like a funny little similarity that's like easily overlooked. Um, I will also note that on the character front, as much as I talked in the previous section about how um, critics, especially fans and film critics and Broadway critics, how much they loved Hamilton, I do feel like it's important to note that historians were highly critical of Hamilton. You know, we talked about the inaccuracies in the previous section, but I think some of this, some of that criticism probably comes from the portrayal of the characters in Hamilton specifically. Mm. So for example, I did some reading and found that there was like quite a bit of criticism over how simplistic the portrayal of the main Hamilton character was. Um, he's not as simple as a person of a person as he was depicted in in the musical. And also the musical kind of vilified Thomas Jefferson, which wasn't totally founded from the perspective of historians. Um, there was also criticism sort of from a bigger picture standpoint and from the standpoint of how we are interpreting history in the 21st century in the year 2021 there have been criticisms that Hamilton places too much emphasis on like yet another white man, mm. even if he wasn't portrayed by a white man. Cause that's one of the main things about Hamilton, right? Is they use, um, they, they hire pretty much all POC cast, mm -hmm. but it's still portraying another white man in history instead of highlighting, for example, the important contributions of ordinary citizens, African-Americans, Native Americans, women, you know, the other groups of people that have not been treated fairly in history textbooks over the years. And we actually seem to have a conceptualization of that now that is 2021, mm -hmm. you know? That's true. There's also the fact, now this is, I think, interesting, and I don't think either of us are really prepared to be able to comment on something this complex, but I will point out that uh, some have said that casting all people of color in Hamilton effectively makes it so that no slaves or, you know, real life historical people of color become characters in the narrative, um, mm. which I think is interesting. That and is interesting. Finally, Hamilton and others, you know, we talked about the slavery bit of this a little bit earlier, but Hamilton and other characters are made to seem more progressive on racial lines, on social justice issues in Hamilton than they were in reality. That's, that's definitely true. And Aubrey, I do have to say that one of the things that I have always liked about Hamilton, which is a, a little bit of an Easter egg, if you know a little bit about history, which I don't, I, I read about this um, years ago, is that in one of the songs, there's, a, it's actually when Thomas Jefferson is singing, 
he m- makes a uh, makes a reference and says, Sally, can you write this down for me? Or something along those lines. And apparently this was because he had a slave named Sally who he actually sexually violated and had children with. But he it, it's pointing out that he did in fact have a slave by that name that was a pretty big part of the historical canon. And what I've always found interesting is that they they do take the time to point that out. But given some of the things that you're saying about the vilification of Jefferson as compared to Hamilton and the fact that Hamilton was less of an abolitionist against slavery as we're maybe led to believe via the musical, it's interesting that this was kind of shoehorned toward Jefferson and they took the time to point this out in Jefferson's life without taking the time to point something like that out in Hamilton's life. Yeah, it's treating the characters in Hamilton as characters as opposed to real people, you know? And that's something that I think it's really important to note the difference between National Treasure and Hamilton in that Hamilton does really does not really have fictional characters to play with. Mm-hmm. to to cr- use as plot devices to advance the story it can only use based on the way it was written people that actually existed which is why i think the historical misinterpretations are so much more i don't want to say problematic because they're not but there's so much more of an issue than historical misinterpretations in national treasure because you really have fictional characters from the present day in National Treasure who are making these historically inaccurate statements when you have historically inaccurate statements. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's a different level. And I think that's part of the reason why, you know, historians who, there are historians out there who like subtly enjoy National Treasure. And I think it's because they see it for what it is, which is a fictional piece of media that is getting people excited about nonfiction. Mm. Whereas I, I don't know, I think if I were a historian, I would have a harder time with Hamilton because I know people are looking at this as their textbook coming to life, wrapping on screen. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yes, I do. So while we're on the topic of characters, Emily, and since you are our Hamilton expert between the two of us, I have a question for you. Which Hamilton character, which is, I guess, technically a portrayal of a real life person, which Hamilton character is most like Ben Gates and why? Hmm. So I do want to emphasize that I'm talking about the character, not necessarily (laughs) the real person. Okay. Uh, I think most like Ben would definitely be alexander hamilton and we'll get a little bit more into it i think in our final section um about why they have similarities but i think in a lot of ways hamilton is very driven is portrayed as a very driven character um who is portrayed in a way that he doesn't want to see injustices taking Mm. place And I think that that's very akin to the way that Ben is in National Treasure. Fair. Can I ask you the same question about Abigail and Riley? Yeah, so for Abigail, I would say probably Angelica Schuyler, 
So Angelica is not Hamilton's wife, but he was one of the sis- she was one of the sisters with which Hamilton had uh, an exchange of letters back and forth and probably some romantic interest in. Um, now, some of their interactions were dramatized for the sake of the musical, but uh, there is one song towards the beginning of the musical where Angelica is singing a lot about how she's very excited to be part of history being made and is um, there's a line in there where she wants to talk to um, Thomas Paine so that she can change um, for the good of all men to include women as well. And I think that that kind of um, feminist approach for that time is is similar to what we see in Abigail in the time period that National Treasure is set in. Cool. And then for Riley, that one's a little more tricky. Um, only because most of the other main main characters were portrayed as more serious in nature while some of the side characters were the ones that were a little funnier uh but riley's kind of a main character in national treasure um so if i had to pick from one of the primary characters i would probably say thomas jefferson And the only reason I say that is because Thomas Jefferson is, you know, he's only in really the second half of the musical. That's when the character comes in because they use the same actor uh, for for two different roles. Uh, so he's playing a different part in the first act than he is in the second act. And but when Jefferson comes in, he has this kind of sarcastic attitude about him, at least the way that the characters portrayed. Um, and I think that that fits Riley probably the best. Oh, okay. See, that one was the le- like was the most unexpected for me, but I completely get it now. So nicely done. And I think you led us really nicely into our third and final segment of the day um, with the mention of some songs. My favorite part. Yeah, and because it's your favorite part, I usually let you totally take over this section, but I actually have some thoughts on music today, too. Isn't that exciting? Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited. Tell me, Aubrey. Tell me. The first song I want to point out is the one that's called History Has Its Eyes on You, which, um, I don't know, probably not surprising. The title says it all. It really expresses this idea that your actions are being watched and will be remembered in history and, like, in history books, right? And so immediately, just, you don't even have to hear the song. All you need to hear is the name of that song. And you should immediately be thinking of Mitch Wilkinson in National Treasure too. I mean, think of Mitch's entire motive that we like to rag on all the time. (laughs) (laughs) It's uh, for the Wilkinson family to make its mark on history. And Mitch's quote is, a man only has one lifetime, but history can remember you forever. True. So he's like literally, I mean, maybe he should break out in in song and sing the song history has its eyes on you. It would track, it would make sense and only be a little bit weird because there's no other lyrical piece in, in National Treasure. But anyway, 
Um, that's not the only connection to this song that I found. In National Treasure 2 as well, I'm also reminded of Ben Gates. Um, once Mitch has effectively tarnished Thomas Gates' reputation, right? We, we have Mitch unveiling the Booth Diary page and it gets totally picked up by the media. And now all of a sudden people see Ben Gates and they see the Gates family name and they think he's a bad guy. Mm. We have that, that scene of Ben being super distressed and talking about the expression, his name is mud. We actually went into the details of this back in one of our historical deep dive episodes, I think related to the Lincoln assassination. I think so. Yes. What we learned was that Dr. Samuel Mudd was a medical doctor and um, he was one of the people who was like treating uh, Booth, John Wilkes Booth, following his injury after the assassination. And so Mudd was convicted as being a co-conspirator in the Lincoln assassination because he was like helping Booth medically because that was like, you know, Hippocratic Oath stuff. Um, But because of Hippocratic Oath stuff, Mud was acquitted, but people still remember him as guilty, hence the expression, his name is Mud. And so as a result, Ben Gates was adamant about proving Thomas Gates a war hero because he doesn't want Thomas Gates to be remembered in history as this bad guy. And so, of course, we know Ben succeeds and and the the narrative is overturned at the end of the movie with the newspaper article that the president chose him and blah 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 but i find it interesting emily that this this song relates to not just our villain but also our protagonist in national treasure mm. and they should theoretically be very opposite that's true oh aubrey bringing in the good points with the music Thanks, dude. Okay, so my uh, my second one is is less good, I think, because that yeah, by comparison, don't get your hopes up. Um, the second one is related to, I think, one of the more famous songs from Hamilton the musical, which is "The Room Where It Happens." Um, and Emily, can you remind everyone for me what that song is referring to before I bring in the national treasure bit? Because I don't remember. Yes, yeah, so it's referring to when Hamilton has uh, a meeting with some other members of Congress and uh, Thomas Jefferson is not one of the people that is part of the meeting. But coming out of the meeting, all of these decisions have been made about the way that the country is going to suddenly work. And Thomas Jefferson is very jealous of the situation and keeps saying that all he wants to do is be part of that and to be in the room where all the decisions are being made. Okay, so that makes my point, I think, a little bit cooler on the cool scale, because what you're describing are like early decisions about like the direction of our country being made by the US government. Well, in the context of national treasure, the concept of the song, The Room Where It Happens, really makes me think of the scene in the first National Treasure movie when Ben, Abigail, and Riley are in um, the assembly room or the signing room of Independence Hall. And we have that whole moment where Ben especially is in awe over the fact that they're in the place, in the room, with the thing that was signed and you know, you all know that scene. It's like where we as the audience are like, okay, great, get a move on. The villains are coming. 
But mm-hmm. Ben is really having this moment because in a way he is in the room where it happened and he's almost feeling that sensation because he's with the Declaration of Independence where it was signed, um, which is, again, obviously a big moment in U.S. history about the direction of our government, a little bit similar to the concept of the song, The Room Where It Happens. Aubrey, you're leaving me speechless here, man. Yeah, yeah. Hey, that's what I that's what I aim for. That's what you aspire for, just leaving Emily speechless in the course of (laughs) these episodes. Absolutely. But hey, I can't be the only one with thoughts on the music here. You can. And as is common with me, I went even deeper into the songs and pulled out specific lines from the songs. Because if there's anything I'm known for liking, it's quotes. So why not take quotes from songs in the form of lyrics? Perfect. Um. And honestly, most of these just kind of came to me as I was preparing this. They just kind of popped into my head because I know the soundtrack so well. Um, But the first one is the line, I knew you'd fight until the war was won. And this is sung by Elizabeth Schuyler to Hamilton uh, in the song, That Would Be Enough. And this song is uh, the point in the story where... uh, she is telling Hamilton that she is pregnant and he has just come home from war for a brief period of time. And she's telling him all of this. And he's saying, why didn't you tell me before that you were pregnant? I would have come home sooner. And her line is basically, I knew you'd fight until the war was won. And to me, this feels very reminiscent of what Ben is doing throughout this entire movie. Obviously, he doesn't have the same situation where he's at war or is expecting a child. But his goal is throughout this movie to basically continue to fight until he has solved the mystery of this treasure. And I would argue that if Ben were in a similar situation this would be something that his wife or girlfriend or partner would say to him mm-hmm. about his treasure hunt. And arguably that his dad kind of says to him sometimes. That's a really good point. I think this is especially appropriate for Book of Secrets um, because it's so, the the treasure hunt, it's no longer just about finding the treasure like the motive is more personal because of the family implications of his ancestors. And it's his own internal war in a weird way, right? Like you get the impression, even if he can't find Cibola, he will find another way to prove Thomas Gates' innocence. Like that, mm-hmm. so so I completely see what you're saying there. Yay. <laughs> um, okay, so then my second one uh, is life doesn't discriminate between the sinners and the saints this one's a little more meta um this is from aaron burr in the song that he sings called wait for it and this in the context of the musical is when hamilton is basically you know telling burr that he doesn't that burr doesn't pick sides in anything and hamilton is wondering why burr doesn't speak out about his opinions more readily And Burr's telling Hamilton that in life, you have to kind of wait for the right moment to share these opinions. And he's telling a story about his family and, you know, his tragic past. 
And this line comes up, life doesn't discriminate between the sinners and the saints. And I think it's really interesting because that line is definitely true in the story of Hamilton. In that Burr is made out definitely to be more of the bad guy, right? He's the one that assassinates, or not assassinates, no. He's the one that kills Hamilton. And he's the one that won't stand up for his beliefs in the same way that Hamilton is. So he's definitely portrayed to be the bad guy. However, when everything's said and done at the end of the musical and at the end of the actual story, Hamilton, who's portrayed as the good guy, is the one that dies, right? So this is suggesting that you're not getting a fair shot necessarily about whether or not you're going to live or die life isn't discriminating between who's doing the right thing and who's doing the wrong thing. And I think that that's really interesting in the context of Hamilton. But then when you think about it in the context of National Treasure, that's really not at all true, (laughs) which is fair because National Treasure is a Disney movie. So like not going to be killing off your main characters, um, especially when you're writing a fictional story all the time. Um, but in especially National Treasure 2, right, the bad guy, Mitch Wilkinson, is the one that dies. And he's the one who I don't want to say you're rooting for him to die throughout the film, but if there's someone that you had to pick to die in the film, it, it would be him, probably over Ben Gates. Probably. But hey, it's funny you mentioned that. I think it's also super um applicable your argument to the first national treasure also i mean what's a what's a a better example than at the end someone's got to go to prison ben we don't care that it has to be you even though you were the one that actually like stole the thing that we care about if you give us the name of a bad guy who did sufficiently bad Mm -hmm. things he can go to jail instead because you did a good thing you found the treasure Mm. yeah no that's so true (laughs) brings our favorite line back around (laughs) my favorite thing to do and honestly for a second I was going to be like uh you're not rooting for agent Sadusky if you had to pick someone if you had to pick someone to not make it through to the end of the film I was trying to be fair to the listener base Aubrey not just you (laughs) okay 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 do you have anything else I do so my last one is kind of I'm hoping ends up being a nice button on the end of this episode um and this line is, we could prove that we're worth more than anyone bargained for. And this is sung by Alexander Hamilton to Aaron Burr in the song, Aaron Burr, Sir. And yes, it sounds funny. And this is towards the beginning of the musical when Hamilton is originally meeting Aaron Burr and trying to convince him to, to like work with him on some stuff. And he's basically going off about, Hamilton is basically going off about how he's done all of this cool stuff in the past um, to get to where he is. And he's saying to Aaron Burr, like, I know that you and I don't seem like much right now on paper, but if we take this opportunity and really fight for what we believe in we can prove to everyone that we're worth more than what they think we are worth and to me this is just national treasure in a nutshell this 
group of people in National Treasure, right? You have Ben, you have Riley, you have Abigail, not necessarily in order of importance. And they're relatively normal people with some extraordinary skill sets that they've built up over the course of their lives, but relatively unassuming normal people who go and do this extraordinary thing, not once, but twice in the course of two films. And I think that fundamentally what they're able to do throughout the films is to prove to not only to someone like Ben's dad, but also to society as a whole, especially in the second film, when everybody's kind of looking down on the Gates family name, that they are worth more than anyone bargained for. I think you're right. That is the perfect place to end this conversation today. And this, what I... what I hope and think was actually kind of a fun comparison between National Treasure and Hamilton. Some of the points that we came up with today, I I even wasn't expecting. And I think it we found some really interesting tidbits in our research that I hope resonated with our listeners today. Mm-hmm. I, I hope you guys enjoyed this as much as we enjoyed putting it together for you. Absolutely. Um, so as usual, thank you so much for joining us. Um, We hope you will join us again in two weeks' time for our next episode, which will be one of our classic historical deep dives into a place of interest to the National Treasure franchise. This historical deep dive coming to you on our next episode will take a look at the Oval Office inside of the White House. And so hopefully we will all learn something together. Um, But before our next episode we do want you to tell us what you thought of this episode over on social media you can find us on twitter and instagram at nt hunt podcast we are also available for your listening ears on apple Podcasts, spotify soundcloud and good pod go ahead like subscribe rate review do whatever you can on those various platforms and like aubrey said let us know your thoughts on this episode if you have any and on any of our past episodes we look forward to chatting with you absolutely and i don't think either of us have much more to to say today we good to go surprisingly yeah (laughs) well we look forward to hearing from you soon and until then i'm aubrey and i'm emily and thank you so much for joining us on our national treasure hunt (laughs) 